welcome, welcome, welcome to the Help Myself Podcast. I'm your host, John M. Singletary Sr. I got to put that senior in there because, hey, I got a junior that is fighting his sleep right now. It's the midnight at night. He definitely is bedtime, but he hears me in here talking. I got this little small light on so I can keep the duck. He keeps sneaking out here like it ain't time for him to be in bed, but he's going to be looking at me sideways tomorrow. Yeah. It's time for him to go to school, but I'm excited today about uh, today's interview. We've got a special guest. Special guest is my sister. My sister through uh, friendship and brotherhood, but uh, not, uh, it's not my biological sister, but my sister nonetheless, sister in love and care, and uh, man, all this preliminary. Kimberly King Webb, she's attorney at law, senior vice president, and the chief human resources officer at Christus Health, which is a not-for-profit Catholic healthcare system with over 45,000 employees in the United States and in Latin America. Um, you know, she's climbed up the corporate ladder. She's seen how it can be a dog-eat-dog world, and it was all about making money out of it. Out of the clients in her law career, and she decided that she wanted to be a part of something with a purpose and a mission to serve people. And in that endeavor, she has become the first African American woman to carry the title of Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer, and the youngest person ever at that level of the organization. And as she says, as she's grown in her career, it's become more or less about practicing law and more about practicing leadership. So let me uh, quit talking and move on to this amazing interview. Uh, I am so grateful for her taking some time out of her busy schedule. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as uh, you listen to the leadership and resiliency stories of Kimberly. With. All right, here we go. Well, welcome, welcome to the Help Myself podcast. I'm super excited. I have got my sister on the line today. This is the first guest appearance for season three. Listen, y'all, I told y'all we were going to do it bigger and better in season three, and so. Today we have my sister Kimberly King Webb on the line. How you doing, sister? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you see, you see how she said John. That's because I'm always cracking jokes. She's trying to get a read on me, but this is <laughs> this is 100. <100%. laughs> no, let me let me let me let me introduce. Kimberly King Webb and give you her bona fides. Listen, she is Kimberly King Webb, an attorney at law, and she's the senior vice president and chief human resources officer at Christus Health, a not-for-profit Catholic healthcare system with over 45,000 employees in the United States and Latin America and over 15,000 physicians that are there uh, to serve their communities. And look, uh, that is her formal introduction. 
But let me tell y'all a little bit about our personal relationship. She's my sister. She's married to my dear friend, my brother, Chris Webb. And listen, I remember um, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. And her mother still calls me the chaplain to this day. <laughs> <laughs> How and I remember <laughs> how the chaplain doing. And uh, <laughs> I remember uh, during the ceremony, it was a beautiful ceremony. It was a beautiful time. One of the best times of my life. Uh, that was just, it was just amazing. I was so blessed to be a part of that. And I remember during the ceremony making a comment um, that Kimberly was the Michelle to Christopher's Obama. And I want to clarify that point because I think if you, I, it is definitely a compliment, but I don't want to undersell how amazing Kimberly is. I don't want to undersell how much she's impressed me and, uh, you know, just the grace and, and the kindness and her beautiful spirit and the way that she operates in the divine. Uh, she's sweet, kind, and caring. She is an amazing, wonderful Sauron of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, she is a graduate of FAMU Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida. They go back and forth because he's TV, Prairie View, and she's FAMU. So they go back and forth all the time. But like she's, she's all of these beautiful things, kind, loving, a amazing mother, sister, daughter, wife. And then she's just a show enough boss. She taught me like how to do self-care, how to invest in myself. I've watched her journey and man, she's out there traveling and getting it how she lives. And listen, she has inspired me in ways that I've never even told her. So she is just an amazing value add to my life. Sometimes I got to pinch myself and say, God, you keep on putting these amazing people in my life. You trying to tell me something? <laughs> so I am just excited to have you on the show. And I am thankful to have you in my life, um, uh, to be honest, to be honest. So thank you for accepting my invite. I'll tell you what, when you were like, when you going to invite me to be on the podcast. I was like, you want to be on my little podcast? Like, I was super honored. So I'm excited to have you here. And uh, and a whole year later, I finally got invited. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I say all of that kind, beautiful stuff, and then she still cuts at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me get started with the questions. I want to know what inspired you to pursue the discipline, the industry uh, that you're currently in. What made you want to be a lawyer? Um, well, I think if you ask most women my age, most African-American women, somehow, some way, Claire Huxtable was going to come in the picture. Right. So you know, I grew up in a small town, Texarkana, Texas, and I didn't know any lawyers growing up. Um, the only ones I saw were on TV, and it was kind of between Perry Mason and Claire Huxtable. <laughs> so um, she's certainly someone who, you know, I looked up to and said, you know, I want to be like that. So I think the the importance of um, the images that we see and, and having our reflections is, is so important. So that's what really drew me to law. And um, 
I love to debate. I love to question. I love to read. And so kind of all of those things really drew me to to being a lawyer. Okay. Right. Now, is there any particular reason why healthcare? <laughs> um, you know, that was happenstance. So when I first started practicing, I was in private law um, at a large firm and I did a little bit of everything. Um, we had clients in different industries. I did white collar, I did commercial litigation, and I did some employment law um, for a lot of different industries. And then some years later, Christus became one of my clients, and I started to do more in, in with healthcare clients. And at some point, I really felt like, you know, I want to be more fulfilled <clears throat> in what I'm doing every day. Um, that the mission of my firm was to build hours and make money. Um, but the mission of Christus is really to extend the healing hands of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're about. Um, and that really spoke to me and it pulled me particularly to this ministry because we give a lot of free health care to um, those who can't afford it and to vulnerable populations. And so that's kind of how I ended up there. It's really weird because my mom is a nurse. She's retired now, but I watched her um, care for other people for a really long time. And growing up, I remember that uh, my dad passed away when I was two years old. So my mom found herself being a single mom with two girls. And I remember she worked the night shift. And so sometimes I would spend the night with my grandmother or my aunt. And then other times my mom would, uh, if she didn't have a babysitter, she would take us to the hospital, take me to the hospital, put me in the patient bed, tell me to be quiet. So I joke and say that I grew up in the hospital and <laughs> have been around. But that's real talk. It's <laughs> real talk. It's real talk. <laughs> um, so I feel like it's come full circle. Man, that's awesome. So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share a link that you wrote about resiliency during the COVID pandemic, not only for uh, the patients, but for all of the partners with Christus. But there's a line in that article that you wrote that just really stood out to me. Uh, you said, many associates express great gratitude to be part of an organization that showed concern about their well-being and that by us simply doing so, they felt better and more connected to the organization. And that really resonates with me because, you know, you talked about you were tired of just being part of a firm that was about billing more hours to the client and wanted to be a part of something that served the people and was the hands of Jesus Christ. And I, I really feel like that line right there, just to let people know that they matter, it really resonates with me. So, you know, I just really want, I don't even know where I'm going with this question, but I had to <laughs> shout that line out because that was incredible. It really resonated with me, uh, especially, you know, as somebody that, that, um, is in charge of teams and in charge of the morale, health, and welfare of teams, you know, just 
to see that we aligned there. So I appreciate that. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, the lessons that we've learned in the past two years with COVID mm-hmm. are, you know, still being told. I mean, I think that one one very important lesson is that we've all learned how to be more human. And, you know, COVID took us out of our office, into our homes, into Zoom meetings, where you got mm. kids running around in the background, <laughs> you got your dog, you got, you know, yeah. it up to be more vulnerable with each other. And, you know, so many times we say, you know, how you doing as we pass by each other in the hallway, but really it's a little, you know, how are you? Like, how are you for real? And so I feel so much more connected to my team and to, and so much more authentic, really, um, about who we are and what's going on, what's impacting us at work, that's impacting us at home and how home is impacting us at work. And so I think just showing up for people um, and showing that we care is has been the most important leadership lesson um, out of all of this. And we had some, and we had some trying times in addition over the past couple of years. In addition to COVID, one of our hospitals, Southwest Louisiana, got hit twice by hurricanes uh. in 2020. Um, Hurricane Delta really devastated the community there, and so. I mean, we had to show up for each other and for our communities. And I think that that has been the what we what we want to hold on to. And when you talk about resilience, it really is being able to know that you have people that you can depend on when times get tough. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you go, you just go get it into resilience, huh? Because you know, I mean, I think we kind of talked about your biggest influences, even though if you would like to add more, but obviously, Claire Huxtable and your mom <laughs> that calls me the chaplain. So tell her the chaplain <laughs> said hello. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Always ask about but, the chaplain. <laughs> so when we talk about resilience, what is your personal story of resilience? My personal way of resilience. Yeah, your personal story. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, <laughs> first generation college student and all mm. that stuff. But. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think other people look at me as resilient, but, you know, it's always you always look at yourself differently, right? Like, I just felt like, well, I did what needed to be done. Um, And I don't think that it was particularly resilient. But, you know, again, I I grew up my as a um, um, with a single mom um, after my dad passed away. And um, neither of my parents had the opportunity to go to college and so um but for me I knew that that was something that I wanted for myself and I knew that there was something bigger 
Um, and I was just really drawn to life beyond where I was. And so I had no money <laughs> to go to college. <laughs> but <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> at all. But you know, I was focused and stuck with it and was able to um secure a full scholarship at Florida AM University. Um That's a long way from home too. It's a long way from home and that's really kind of what I wanted. I think I wanted the HBCU experience. Absolutely. Um, after growing Absolutely. up in a community where people who looked like me were marginalized. Correct. And so that appealed to me because, you know, after I watched the Cosby show with Claire Hustable, I was watching Different World. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Once I found out Hillman was not a real school, right? I set my sights on Florida A&M. But, um, yeah, I got a scholarship there, and really, I ended up actually getting a scholarship in agricultural business. So that was my major, is agricultural business. Had no really idea what that entailed or interest in it, but that's what I was able to get a full scholarship for. Right. And um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to roll with that. And it was a great program. It's by the USDA, um, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and I was able to intern and spend summers in dc and get some great experiences through that and then i also knew i wanted to go to law school so i knew undergrad wasn't going to be my last stop and um worked really hard um at florida and finished magna cum laude there and got a scholarship to smu the on the the dean scholarship there um and so with that scholarship and some loans, was able to um, to pay my way through SMU Law, Southern Methodist University here in Dallas, um, and just figured it out, you know. But I think for me, a big part of it was my faith, um, which is a core part of my life. And... Um, just knowing that if I did my part, God had it. And that has been completely true in every aspect of my life. Man. Listen, she she told that story, but listen, she don't want to tell y'all about balls. You know, when she was in corporate law, she was like one of the only African-American women, you know, in her uh, office and now she's senior vice president Christmas and she is a black history month question and answer <laughs> the first african-american woman to ever carry that title and the youngest person at that level of the organization so listen shout out props to my sister that's what i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> thank you john uh, yeah um, yeah, you know, there's, it's not a lot of Black women who are at large firms, especially those who are in higher ranks. And I think that um, one of the things that really is helpful is just having your tribe and your community, um, finding your people and, and, and raising each other up. So I'm part of this organization called the New Roundtable. It's super, super dope. 
And it's just a few young black women attorneys who got together and said, hey, I'm tired of being the only one at my firm. Let's get together and see what we can do. And so we support each other. We um, nominate each other for awards. We're giving each other business. We're um, doing professional development together. And now so many of those women are partners at their firms or general counsels and top of their wow. game. And so I'm really, about. really, really proud. And so when we talk about like resilience, I think it's also about like who you surround yourself with. Mm. Um, and certainly, you know, the biggest benefit I think to my career is my husband. Um, okay. Best career. Best career decision I ever made. <laughs> Marrying him, having a partner that's supportive um, yeah. and compliments me, doesn't compete with me, and really supports me. Like, for example, I just landed back home today for a work from a work trip, and like he had the baby um, without you know any hesitation or question or anything like that so he's just really extremely supportive of all of my crazy goals and dreams and again i'm 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 getting emotional man because you don't (laughs) know me and him would get on the phone every morning at like 5 45 30 and we prayed y'all's union into existence so i'm all I'm all excited because you know we did that. He might he might need to start calling me at four or five in the morning. We need to start by stuff. Right. <laughs> start That's praying me something. Two goal right there. Two <laughs> goals. Yeah. Uh, hey, I mean, I don't want to hold you too long because I mean, you but. You know, I got to ask you about your other resiliency story because one of the things we talked about before is how, you know, our community, the African-American community, we don't talk a lot about infertility, infertility and maternal health. So, mm. you know, definitely want to, if you want to talk about definitely want to talk about my man Christian, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the light of my life. <laughs> yes. So Christian is 22 months old. My sweet boy was born March 18th, 2020, the week that the world shut down mm-hmm. from COVID. And um, <laughs> there's so much to that story. But, you know, I focused on my career and um, and was mostly patient with the Lord to to um to bring me a husband and so I got married a little later um I got married when I was 35 and I hadn't really thought about having kids or not being able to have kids but it turned out it was a little harder for us than I thought it would be and so about a year after trying a little year or more after trying we um, saw a fertility specialist and after um, some consultations and tests decided that our best route was, was um, IVF. And so we did IVF. That was a whole mess. So a whole um, mess, huh? <laughs> it 
was a whole mess. I mean, it's, it's just a big journey and every, you know, every couple, every woman has their own journey with it. But for me, I felt like the, all of the drugs made me crazy, emotional. And, um, and it's just a lot. It's a lot to keep up with. It's a lot of, to remember you're on such a regimented schedule of three, four times, four shots a day. Um, and side note, there was this one time where we went out of town and I forgot one of my medicines, one of my five or six medicines I was taking. And so long story short, I had to fly back to Dallas. Wow. Ooh. in a 24 hour period because you have to take these medicines on time and if where were y'all at we were in kansas city at my family no family i left him in kansas city <laughs> figured out i left the medicine called out around it's a specialty drug it was nothing available in kansas city and i had about a um about a 16 hour window before I had to take this drug or start all over um, with the IVF process, which is really expensive and unfortunately prohibitively expensive for a lot of people. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so bought a plane ticket, top 6 a.m. in the morning and um, flew back from Kansas City to Dallas, landed, Ubered to the house, took the drug by 10 a.m., I was on a two o'clock flight back to Kansas City because I left Christopher and my two bonus babies with my whole family for family reunion. Mm. So that's kind of hot mess. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy. But um, I've never heard that story. So it's a- <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. I'm like, what? So um, that seemed to be the only option at the time. So that's what we did. It was all worth it, and um, we were successful, very fortunate and blessed, and, and um, successful in our first round, had Christian, um, and um, and it was such a blessing. But, you know, the whole delivery, now that's another story, because, again, I had him at the beginning of the pandemic, and you know, it was just a weird time to be in the hospital. And yeah, we, um, knew, we knew nothing about COVID back then. Right. We didn't know. We, it was like, oh man, you got, <laughs> you got the heebie jeebies. <laughs> right. It was so crazy. And so, um, it was, yeah, truly cooties back then. So, <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was a weird time to be in the hospital, but, um, there's just so much there. Fortunately, um, I had him the day before, literally the day before the hospital changed their visitation policy. He was three weeks early. And I think that he knew that his mom was coming. He knew something was coming. He knew that I needed my husband and my mom there. So they were both able to be there. Um, but literally the very next day they changed their visitation policy and, um, but they were both there and, you know, um, when you're in a hospital gown, people don't know that you're a senior executive at a hospital or a health system or an attorney or 
other things. And so I really certainly felt to be on the tail end of a lack of empathy, compassion, um, just so much that I think that particularly women of color and Black women have to deal with so much of conscious and unconscious bias when it comes to healthcare. And so um, it was so great to have my mom there as as an advocate because I really felt like the nurse was just not listening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, my mom was, my mom was sure to make them listen and really demanded to see the doctor and to do some additional interventions to make sure that I had a smooth delivery. And then after that, I got discharged, had a, you know, um, uh, well, had a, uh, another complication right after I delivered where I, they called a code and, um, I quickly had about 10 people (laughs) standing over um, trying to um, trying to help the situation. And so that was, that was really crazy and tough. Um, And, you know, throughout the pregnancy, we had Christopher going to these pregnancy classes and delivery classes. And I remember we were in one class and everyone was saying, Oh, what are you afraid of? That was the icebreaker. And we were the only black couple in the class. Everyone else in the class said, oh, I'm afraid of the pain or, you know, different things. And I said, I'm afraid of dying. Like, it's real. The percentage Mm -hmm. of black women who die during childbirth is embarrassing um, for our country. And... um, but it's a very real and, and it's very personal to me because I know pe- women who I went to college with who have um, who've lost their life during childbirth or came very close to it. And so um, <laughs> at that moment after giving birth, I thought, oh, man, this is my my biggest fear is about to come to pass. Like, this is uh, about to happen. Yeah. I mean, I literally got my affairs in order before <clears throat> delivering and made sure I had a will in place, a trust in place. Um, because then I'm also coming from the perspective that my dad died when I was 22 months old. And so it's a, it's something that, a reality that that I know that exists and you need to be prepared for. But um, we got through that. I got home with a baby and he's super healthy and great but I was felt terrible and I kept calling the doctor and the nurse um specialist on call and saying you know I'm just really not feeling well I'm still in a lot of pain and I remember the nurse coordinator saying oh honey you just had a baby and so I thought okay we'll keep suffering through and um and then at some point it got to be unbearable so by then we're two weeks into COVID. Christopher drops me off at the emergency room because he can't go in. Mm-hmm. And they keep me because I have postpartum preeclampsia. And the doctor said that one more day and I would have died. Period. Uh. 
So they kept me for about a week. And as he's discharging me, I'm telling him, I'm still in a lot of pain. I still really don't feel good. I'm still in a lot of pain. And he was like, well, you were really sick. It's going to take you some time to get over it. About a week and a half later, I'm back in ER. Christopher's dropping me off front door because he can't go in. And I have emergency gallbladder surgery. And I have my gallbladder removed. And um, so it was quite the season. Um, It was, uh, in some ways, the most challenging month of my life. Um, Absolutely. A newborn and having all these health challenges. But I also think that it was, um, it's interesting because it was some of my weakest moments. But when you're really alone in a hospital bed and you're looking at the news and you're seeing COVID and just, you know, being isolated from the world, it was some of my most powerful moments with God. And um, I remember just listening to gospel music and worshiping God and, um, and knowing that he, he was keeping me and that's all I had to rely on. And so I feel like in the, you know how they say, when you're weak, I am strong. I certainly felt that. And so it was um, when I felt the most powerful as well, because he was just, he controlled everything about that situation. Man, that is so awesome. I mean, I'm sitting up here having a after the fact panic attack a little bit here, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa. Meanwhile, my, my husband was at home with the baby and my mama. <laughs> so And he did and he did just fine because I mean, you know. No, no. You know that was that was the least of his worries at that moment. <laughs> he just wanted he would do anything to have you back with him. So trust me. That he wasn't complaining about that situation. <laughs> and why don't you tell us what's happening in June? Oh, so after all of that, and after going through fertility treatments and the doctor, I remember a fertility doctor, actually he said, one of the last things he said to me is that it would take a miracle for you to have a baby without IVF. And I said to him, well, I believe in miracles. But I was more surprised than anybody (laughs) in October when I found out that I was expecting. (laughs) So um, we are expecting and um, really excited about another boy who will be here in June, June 22. Man, congratulations. Man, you're going to have two rugrats running around. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, hashtag boy mom. Super there you go. Yeah. No, that's right. I know that's right. Well, I mean, I don't want to hold you too long because I know you are a boy mom and I know Christian is the light of your life, but he is also. Uh, the driver of the schedules in your household. But before we let you go, 
<laughs> Thank Before you for having you me. Hey, you're not you're not gone yet. Now, oh. what's your what's your quick take motto or mantra that you live by, and would either advise the listeners to live by, or just something you would like to share? That I live by, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would say. Really, my favorite scripture is nothing can separate me from the love of God. Okay. Um, and I think that that holds me down because no matter what's going on, like I know that he either he either blessed it and made it happen or allowed it to happen. Um, and so that gives me a piece, I think, about everything. Um, so I would say that, and then I would say, you know, this saying that one of my teachers told me as a little girl, good, better, best, never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Mm. I'm always uh, pushing myself for for that and for excellence. Um, and pushing my team and they push me as well. So there's always room for improvement. So I would say those two things are things that really stick out. Y'all see me doing my little dance because you did the good, better, best. I'm, I'm doing my little dance. I'm <laughs> Millie rocking. Millie rocking right now because that, that's my jam right there. <laughs> Man. Now, wasn't that an amazing interview? Uh, I appreciate her taking time. And she touched on some topics that I really want to get into in the future. We're definitely going to have her back. Uh, You know, I I think I definitely need to give her some time, you know, for her to (laughs) recover and and get back up to full speed after the new bundle of joy is born. But I think you, Kimberly, so much for spending some time with us and me and the co-pilot. We are signing out. And I'm going to sign out the same way that I sign out every time. Listen, I can't help myself. I've got to inspire. I've got to empower. I've got to encourage. But I can help myself by being the absolute best version of myself. And you can too. So why not we do it together? Hey, we out.